Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's now the fourth Sunday in Lent, not of Lent, I note, because Sundays are not part of Lent. And there are six Sundays in Lent, including Palm Sunday, and seven and a half weeks. So we've sort of turned the corner of the season, so to speak, and are now heading towards Holy Week and Easter. This means we're further along than Britain was during the Second World War in November 1942, when Winston Churchill gave a speech after the first major British victory at El Alamein, when he said, now this is not the end, it is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Uh, there was a lot more war to fight then, and uh, the end was not exactly clear. Whereas we know that Easter Day is April the 16th, come what may. And even if there's snow on the ground then, or it's 80 degrees in a world that apparently is without global warming, um, Lent will be over. What is also true but less certain in its details is that the transition at St. James has turned a corner and has moved beyond the end of the beginning and into the beginning of the end, although there is more discerning and work still to be done. And all of this struck me when I saw that all of our readings today do have a theme of transition in them. In the passage from 1 Samuel, God's prophet is trying to overcome the walking disaster that is the reign of King Saul. The people had wanted a, a warrior king of the type that other nations had. And uh, Samuel had warned them against it, pointing out that the Lord Almighty was their king, and kings were generally speaking a bad idea. But they wanted somebody to help them in their fight against their long-term um, enemy, the Philistines. And um, so God, uh, Samuel secretly anointed Saul of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, who was the tallest, meanest, biggest-looking guy around. And this was affirmed by a lottery, which seemed to have been divinely rigged, because first the tribe, and then the family, and then Saul himself were, were chosen. And at first it all went according to plan, and Saul defeated the enemy and ruled with power like a proper king, looking and acting the part. But power went to his head, and he became a deranged and violent megalomaniac unable to listen to the advice of God's representative. And so today we hear of the beginning of the end of his reign, as with another secret anointing, with God being rather devious about this, um, his replacement to be is selected. There would be battles aplenty, but the corner had been turned and God's will would unfold. The psalm, of course, is touched by this refrain too. Life seen as a journey... And we can be guided by God who will go with us and will bring us. Uh, and eventually, even if we have to pass through the valley of the shadow of death to that place where the table is set, our heads are anointed and in the old language, our cups runneth over. A phrase co-opted by the fans of the Chicago Cubs who uh, finally managed to runneth over last year. It took them 108 years to do it, but such are the rewards of uh, faith and patience more likely endurance. So also in Ephesians, Paul, or perhaps the follower who may have borrowed Paul's name for this piece of writing, uh, refers to the transition from living in darkness to living in light. Turn the corner on the works of darkness and become children of light. 
again, a suitable text for the Lenten journey. In the gospel, the turning point is at least twofold. Uh, The blind man whose entire life journey had been shaped by his blindness and who's lived by the pity of passers-by is the object of a question from uh, Jesus' disciples. Who sinned uh, that this man was born blind? Because back then, everybody knew for a fact that such misfortune must be caused by sin. Misfortune, in some ways, is the fault of the misfortunate. And that's an idea that hasn't gone away. This is an idea that has persisted through the ages in the minds of the fortunate, at any rate. (laughs) Jesus answers this in two ways. First, by changing the course of the blind man's life when the man responded with trust and went and did what Jesus told him to do. And in Lent, we try to remember that we are all supposed to go and trust and do what Jesus tells us to do. In doing so, the blind man found the physical sight he'd never known, which must have been remarkable for him, because people who have never had sight don't know what it's like to be able to see. A colleague of mine lost her sight in her teen years to to, to an optical disease. and uh, In conversation with other unsighted people who've never been able to see, they would say to her, what's it like? And she had to try to explain what it was like to be able uh, to see. Secondly, and scandalously for this place and time in which he lived, he challenged that common assumption that misfortune is occasioned by sin. And the religious leaders who told the now-sighted beggar exactly what they thought of him took a dim view of the whole business. Uh, Just who did this Jesus think he was to upset the whole order of the way things were done and the reasons things were the way they were? Now, we don't know what happened to that man's life journey after this miracle, uh, whether he was able to develop any skills to support himself beyond begging, or whether the healing was another misfortune as it was for Martin and Mary Duell in J.M. Singh's play, The Well of the Saints, which I once saw just by chance in in the Abbey Theatre in in Dublin. Um, We know that he accepted Jesus as his saviour before he went on his way, so we may imagine a happy outcome of some sort. Poor Martin and Mary, of course, were blind and earned a living by making not very good rope out of twisting uh, reeds together. Uh, Their neighbors bought them because uh, they felt sorry for them. Um, A traveling holy man cured them and they lost their means of earning a living because now they could see. Nobody would buy that terrible old rope anymore. And then their eyesight started to fade and the holy man came back and said, next time he did it, the cure would be permanent. And that's sort of the end of the play. Um, they can't go back into blindness because their neighbors knew they could have been cured and they can't make a living (laughs) with sight. Another cheerful Irish playwright. (laughs) As for the business of upsetting the way things have been done and finding a new way, or should we say a truer way, uh, to perceive and to value and to treat other people and to shape our own journeys... Well, that's a corner that the world has been asked to turn every year of every generation. And Jesus is asking us to keep doing so now as individuals, as families, as congregations, and as nations um, whose lives are in transition from the past uh, through the present and into the future. Whether the future, to borrow from 
Churchill again, we will be one of um, sunlit uplands or of, or of some other sadder uh, um, uh, veil of, uh, of circumstance. Today's gospel passage is in some ways uh, a manifesto which challenges us to listen up and learn and which reminds us all that we don't come to church to hear preachers preach, although that's what you're doing right now. We are here to hear Jesus speak, both to our minds and to our hearts. Amen.